Big breath. Okay, we're starting. <laughs> okay, let's do this. Okay, so Lottie and I were just talking about her university career and stuff like that. But before we get into that, Lottie, who are you? Who am I? Good question. My name's Lottie. Um, I've been living in Hong Kong for 26 years now. Play rugby for Hong Kong, play rugby for USRC Tigers, which is a club out here. Uh, and I work in a school as a sports coach. Very nice. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to talk about how you got involved with rugby or what you were doing before teaching? Oh, how I got involved with rugby. So I started playing rugby when I was seven years old. And it was because basically when I was younger, all my friends were boys. I just was played football with them. All my friends at school were boys. Like I was a very I was a massive tomboy growing up. So I remember like um, all of them played rugby for this team called Flying Cookeries. And my mum always tried to persuade me not to join rugby. She was just like, every time I asked it, it was a solid no. And then um, when I would go for a sleepover with my friend Will, every Sunday morning, his mum would invite me to go to rugby because his dad was the coach and they used to go down. And my mum would always say to me before I went, okay, don't say yes to the invitation. Just say, no, thank you. I don't want to play rugby and come home. And I never understood why she did that every time. But then finally, like, um, she admitted years later, she was like, oh, I didn't want you to get into it because I didn't want to spend every Sunday morning down at rugby. So, and, but then of course, every time I said, okay, mom, don't worry, I'll say no, I'll, I'll come home for Sunday morning. And I would always call her Sunday morning, 8 a.m. and be like, hi, I'm going to rugby with Will. And so then they would take me down and for a few months, they would take me every week. And finally, my mom was like, okay, fine, we'll go. And of course, like if one of us went, my mom was like, the whole family, all six of us in the car, let's go, bring the dog. And um, I think in the end, they started enjoying it. So my brother and my sister started to play. And then uh, my older sister, she was old enough to like not come with us at that point. And uh, yeah, my mom and dad would come down and became like a real social thing. Like all my parents' friends were at rugby. So while we played for two hours, I think they quite enjoyed it. They sat down and had coffees and chatted and gossiped like Hong Kong mums do. And the dads would have a beer. And so yeah, it became more of a social thing. And just growing up, uh, my brother stopped playing around 10 years old. My other sister stopped playing around like uh, just end of school. She stopped playing. And I'm the only one who's like continued it throughout. And it's actually like made a massive difference to my family's life. We weren't a rugby family until I started playing. And now... My sister works for the Leicester Tigers as a physiotherapist, so rugby is her life. My mum joined the first aid team in Hong Kong and became first aid instructor, so that changed her life, like, for, went in a whole different direction. She loved it. Um, Jenny played socially. Harry now plays touch in Australia, like, so we went from this non... We were a tennis family, <laughs> very tennis-y, and then, um, yeah, now we all, like, rugby is, like, all we watch all together it's like our thing every Sunday morning he'll be talking about on the family chat all about rugby so yeah you were the pioneer I was the pioneer I say I was I'm the reason they all have rugby in their lives and yeah. you're still playing rugby now still playing rugby now I'm getting old but I'm still playing now you're Got not a, getting old one or two years left in me my body's feeling old <laughs> but yeah that's pretty oh gosh my phone's just collapsed on the floor you're gonna hear a lot of weird noises it's a full house today bring the dog in (laughs) and not only did you play in rugby but you worked in rugby as well yes rugby for a good five years was my whole life so after leaving university I went to uni and I based my university choice on rugby went to a good women's rugby university went there Got a shock of my life about how good girls are outside of Hong Kong mm. and uh, how small I am compared to them as well. Like here, I'm considered big. I'm five foot six and, you know, 80 kilograms. 
And I was like, yes, here I go, front row. That's nothing. I'm absolutely <laughs> nothing compared to these women who play overseas. Like, they're just solidly built, strong, powerful women who are just made for rugby. Mm. So I did my best to try and keep up. But um, yeah, rugby definitely became a second hobby for me in the UK. And uh, just never thought I'd really take it any further until I came back to Hong Kong. Started playing the league here again, got better playing women's league. And yeah, joined the Hong Kong team in the end. But before that, I actually got onto the Hong Kong team through working with them. So I came back from university. I did three years doing an undergrad in sports and physical education at Cardiff Met. And then went on to do my master's in performance analysis. And I remember saying to my tutor, like she said, what sport do you want to go into? And I said, I'd like to be a rugby analyst. And she went, nope, think again. Why did she say that? Because <laughs> I'm a girl. Yeah. Literally because I'm a girl. And she was like, no one is going to take on a 22-year-old girl. No, she was like, you'll never make it in rugby. However, luck struck. I came back to Hong Kong uh, to finish my master's for the last year. And uh, I met up with Jo Hull, who's the head of women's performance in Hong Kong. And she was just chatting to me, I think about playing more. But then she found I hadn't played for three years. And I was only kind of getting back into it. So I think she kind of went off me playing for Hong Kong there. But she said to me, um, what do you do? Like, what are you, what's your degree? And I told her performance analysis. And you could kind of see a light go off in her eyes a bit, being like, because in Hong Kong, they hadn't had anyone here who with a degree in it. And she said to me, why don't you come along to a training session and help Andy, who's the analyst? And he's a great analyst, but he's learnt on the job. Mm. And like how many of Hong Kong analysts learn, they learn on the job how to do it. So, but then, uh, so I came along and then that turned into an internship with the Hong Kong women's team. And they took me to the World Cup. And then uh, after the World Cup, I decided I want to take playing more seriously. So I said, I can't work for you anymore. I want to play. And they kind of tried to talk me out of it. But then a day later, I got a phone call saying, the men's team are looking for an analyst. Would you be interested? And yeah, the rest is history. I started working for the Hong Kong Rugby Union with the men's team and uh, the elite rugby program. I worked there for four years. And yeah, it was great. Loved it. Yeah. There's so many things that I want to ask you about. So first of all, I'm going to start with the first thing that I heard. How was being at a World Cup? Ah, oh, it was unreal being at a World Cup with the women. It was such a special moment for Hong Kong just because Hong Kong had never even come close to achieving it before. And there we were suddenly. I remember when we qualified. So we played the qualifiers in Hong Kong in 2016. And it was us, Fiji and Japan and the top two teams went through, which is very rare. Usually in a qualifier, one goes through. For some reason they had, oh, because uh, we were combining the Oceania and Asia ones together, they said two teams will go through. And we went out, we played Fiji and we beat them. And that was already like a, wow, okay, we just beat a top team. So we beat Fiji. And then um, we knew that if Fiji lost Japan, we were through. Doesn't matter what the result is against Japan, we would go through. And we sat there and then Japan slaughtered Fiji. And I remember the final whistle went, we we're down at the game and I turned around to Joe and I just said, oh my God, we just made a World Cup. And she was so in shock. Like, well, we knew we could do it, but at the same time, it was just like, it was unreal. Like we just qualified for a World Cup. We're about to go play New Zealand, Wales, like, you know, just some unreal world-class teams. We're about to face them. And we're little Hong Kong, population 7 million, 2,000 women play rugby in the whole country. So, um, yeah, so went to the World Cup and it was 
the best slash worst experience of my life. It was just so like, you know, we're there and it's so weird because I'm walking around and I'm seeing players who I've looked up to my whole life. Like Portia Woodman is stood next to me in the line in the canteen and Emily Scarrett. For people who might not know. Uh, Portia Woodman is um, a New Zealand sevens and fifteens player. She's an absolute legend. She scored seven tries against us, let's put it that way. <laughs> she, uh, or nine tries against us in the game against us. And uh, she's an unbelievable player. Emily Scarrett um, plays centre for England and she's just, she's like my kicking idol. Like just seeing the way she can kick a rugby ball off a tee, like wow. So just seeing all these players. And then also there were so many girls that I went to uni with as well, who play for Wales, play for England, play for Ireland. So it was nice seeing all of them. And uh, the whole vibe, and it was kind of like, again, like another step, each time there's a World Cup for the women, it's another step up of history of just look how far women's sport has come. And the one coming up this year in 2021 in New Zealand is just going to be another step up of, wow, look how far women have come. Like this World Cup, there were professional players there, which has never been seen before. Like we, like players were paid to go. It was all televised. There were big crowds. Like Ireland loved their rugby. And so they were down for like every game. It was just so great. And um, it was nice because we were the underdogs. Everyone knew we were the underdogs. But that's one thing I love about um, the Irish is they love an underdog. <laughs> so wherever we went, we got massive support. And it was weird. We'd walk down the street and in like just a Hong Kong hoodie and people would recognize us. And people would off the street, we'd come like up to us and be like, oh, are you the Hong Kong women's team? Are you here for the World Cup? And they'd chat to us about it. Some of them, not the best comments of, you got slaughtered yesterday. And we're like, yep. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally like, cheers. Yeah, we did. We were the ones on the pitch. And um, at the same time, though, so like, that was amazing. Like going there, being so professional, sitting in like the boxes, just having that kind of professional atmosphere not many women's teams get to experience mm-hmm. of this is how men in the premiership in the UK play rugby week in, week out. But yeah, this is just for us, like, this is a special experience. And they did the World Cup so well. Like, they just, the organisation of it was just so good. So yeah, it was so nice to be treated that way. And again, like I said, like, that's just how men expect to be treated. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. us, that was like a wow. Like, we had a police escort to the game. I had no idea. And I thought it was all like such a, oh, look, police escort. They're like, no, you won't get there in time because there's traffic in Ireland. And yeah, but then they were like, no, this is just normal. This is what men have all the time. I was like, this is just unbelievable. So, yeah, at the same time, just so stressful. Like, finishing a game, I think we lost 121-0 to New Zealand. Then having to go back to the room, start coding. I'd then, like, so, you know, I'd been up since 6 a.m. to get things like protein ready, down at the game, set up the changing rooms, make sure the girls have what they need, jersey presentations, get like, making presentations for the coaches to give. Then, uh running around collecting stuff after make sure the girls get their recovery in and then heading back to the to the room and starting to code the game and it was me and, and andy the other analyst and we'd start coding we'd be up so we wouldn't get in and start coding till about 10 11 at night five in the morning would finish and i would always just remember them knocking on the door leaving a thumb drive outside the coach's room like with everything going to bed for an hour and then being up at seven to start it all again and start our recovery day how is that sustainable? For three weeks, it was not. Yeah. I remember at one point turning to Talia, who was the physio, and I was like, I found a gray hair this morning. I was 23 at this point, mind. I was like, I found a gray hair this morning. <laughs> and she turned to me, she's like, yeah, I can see it. I was like, no, no, I pulled it out. She goes, no, I can see it. And she pulled out this gray, and I was getting gray hair from like the stress of this and like just being so tired all the time. 
they really just take a toll on you like you know it's I always find like whatever tour I've gone on whether it's been as a management member or a player you start peaking so high at the start like it's so much fun like you're all going on tour it's exciting new place new destination and then something goes wrong whether it be in training or in or the game went wrong or and then it starts to dip and then you feel like the the coaches or the management start losing it a bit like with the players or the players start losing it with the management a bit so you have this ultimate low and then like and then it starts to pick up again at the end at the end yeah it's at a good place again but there's always the dip and yeah when we hit the dip in Ireland that was pretty pretty low that was a real low point but then at the same time like when I look back on those memories I don't remember that I just remember you know I don't remember the games I remember like the girls putting on a talent show one night <laughs> and you know New Zealand singing them a song as they left the pitch and going to the World Cup final as a crowd member and watching the New Zealand England final and as I remember well I don't know how I remember a lot of the after party because I drank a lot but you know like <laughs> the band they brought on and how we were there till like ridiculous o'clock and then afterwards we're sitting in the hotel corridor having pizza to celebrate the World Cup together yeah just memories like that that's what I remember I always know in the back of my mind there was a low point because it yeah. always is but I don't remember how low it got yeah the World Cup was just incredible like really really want to go to 2021 as a player I remember like seeing on the bus also on the way I was 23 and I was the youngest management member in the whole of the tournament and a lot of people mistook me as a player because you know I was as young as the players and I can imagine for the players it was hard to look at me as a management member especially lots of them, my friends but the ones who are like you know, nearly 30 years old when I was telling them to get an ice bath. I can imagine them looking at me and being like, who is this child yeah. telling me what to do? So yeah, it was hard. That was a hard part. That was a hard learning curve. But it was one I had to have. But yeah, I just remember... Um, How being, did you... Sorry to interrupt. The, How did you navigate that? Because that would have been a pretty big, I would imagine, confidence blow. If you're there, if you're like just out of your master's essentially, and then you're at a World Cup and you're having to be the management and you're having to be a leader for these players who are like you're tiny <laughs> I was confident in what I did because I knew I knew what I was doing you know what I knew I was a good analyst and I knew what I was doing in the sense of this is what I need to do get the stats out do my typing make sure it's accurate give it to the coach it was the jobs which um I had to do as an intern which were like because at the end of the day I was there as an intern I was there to work in every department I could um but analysis was my main one so I didn't enjoy the ones where I had to take them for ice baths because it would just be me. The other coaches and managements go off and I would take the girls for ice baths. And A, I felt a big sense of responsibility of I'm 23 yet having to organise like a manager and get these girls to where they need to be. If something went wrong, like, you know, I, we once had someone from official come up to me and go, you can't be here. Uh, the girls need to go. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh my God. But then luckily... The girls there were old enough like to be like, okay, sorry, we'll go over here. But I, so I felt bad in that sense when I couldn't take charge because I just didn't know what to do. But the girls were like, you know, in their 30s or nearly 30 would be like, okay, yeah, we'll take... And they would take charge and they'd go. And it really helped me out at the same time, made me feel very not needed, which is not what you want when you're meant to be the person in charge. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I would definitely have a hard time listening to someone who's younger than me. And I'm like, why are you here? Really? <laughs> But I think you're right. You know that you're qualified. Yeah, but it's so different. It's like when you're in the gym with us. You're a lot younger than a lot of us, but you know what you're doing much more than we do. So when you say to me, like, you could lift heavier or, you know, change your technique, I listen because I'm like, she knows a lot more. 
Oh, that makes me feel very nice. <laughs> You're very good at what you do. So don't, yeah, like that's the thing. You must have confidence when you. Like, otherwise, you wouldn't say change this. You could just stand in the corner if you want and not say anything, which we have had interns do. But instead, you come up and you say, hey, can you change this? Or like, you know, lift heavier or I'll spot you and I'll help you with this. And we have confidence in you. That's why we trust you. Mm. So it's building that relationship, which is so important, which sometimes like if you don't have that trust in your management and your support staff, then you don't have a team. Yeah. Yeah. It's everybody who works together. Yeah, it has to be. Everyone has to work together and like you know be friends almost not friends yeah kind of friends you have to be matey a bit with each other like i don't trust a physio who won't have a conversation with me while they're treating me like why are they so standoffish you want me to trust you yet you won't even talk to me that's such a good point actually like the people who are supposed to be helping you and treating you but if they have nothing to say it's like well how do i know you can do that yeah Mm. how do you have how do you build trust you have to build a relationship with someone to trust them and if you don't bother trying to build a relationship, you're never going to have that trust. So, yeah, it's all about building trust. And for that, you must have a relationship. Yeah, 100%. That being said, I definitely, like from my perspective of, again, Lottie is somebody that I met when I was doing my SNC internship with Hong Kong Rugby. <laughs> We've been um, friends ever since. <laughs> can't get her away from me. <laughs> um, but I would have a hard time approaching the men's players, for sure. Uh, not, I don't know any less when I'm around them. Like it doesn't just fade from my memory, but for some reason I would have that block in my head. And I'm like, mm, I, there's something that there's no, that I disconnect there that I find totally, hard. Totally, totally get that. And unfortunately I had that block when I joined and it made a reputation for me, I feel, which stayed with me till I left. And, um, yeah. So when I joined, I was like, yeah, that, 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 I knew what I was doing. And when I first joined also, so the week I joined, the head analyst then, so I joined as the assistant analyst. Then the head analyst turned to me and was like, oh, by the way, I've resigned. I'm leaving next week. So I did one week with him. And that's where I came in, met all these new staff I've never met before, met all these players I never met before. And, um, and then the next week he was gone. So that one kind of support system I had there was gone. And I was left completely by myself. You were doing all the analysis by yourself? Yeah, I had to do it all by myself. And it was like, you know, it was when they decided that all the men were going to have individual stats. So then I had to then start doing everyone's individual stats. And I was only part time as well at this point. And so then I would, you know, work all day Sunday, come in Monday morning, like 7am, start coding code all the games because I had to do three premiership games I had to code as a team and then I had to do all the individual stats for 50 guys and it was just like I just yeah and I couldn't say no and I see it happening to other young girls I'm so like no you have to fight for this Mm. I was like don't take no for an answer it's like we got one young girl at the moment only 18 and um, she's just found out we're all on scholarships and she's not and I'm like, but you've been doing all the training and you're like, you know, you're in our team. And she's like, oh, you know, no one's offered it to me. I was like, you need to go and say, am I eligible for this scholarship? I want to be eligible. And you are eligible. You're one of, you're going to be one of our star players. I was like, and if they say no, walk away. I guarantee you, they will chase you. So yeah. So, but yeah, it's again, like, she's like, oh, I don't want to bother anyone. Yeah. It's a big thing with like girls, young girls not wanting to bother people, mm. which I was one of them. I want yeah, to slap same. if I could literally still that <laughs> if I could look at my younger self I'd slap her really yeah why did I agree to so much crap mm. pardon yeah you could swear if you okay, want to yeah. <laughs> I was like why did I agree to so much crap I was like why why did I let them do this mm. why did I say yes to working overtime for no extra money 
And it was because I was intimidated. And because I didn't want... It sounds really stupid. I thought if I walked away out the room after going no, they'd bitch about me going, oh my God, did you see that? She didn't want to work. And like, you know, I'm just... Because I was worried what they would think and say about me. Why would I care? Now I'm like, why do I care what you think and say about me? Yeah. You're not my friends. You're not my family. I don't care. But yeah, back then... When I was young, like, I did care. I cared a lot what they thought about me. I cared a lot what the players thought about me as well, for some mm. reason. And uh, Well, you would, because you're I, working yeah. for the players, essentially. I knew. It's when, like, I first started out. As a start-out analyst, because you're trying to... Especially doing individual analysis, when you're trying to use so many players by yourself and, you have, and you're on a really strict time limit, um, you do miss some stuff. I was getting to know the players. I didn't know any many of them. Like you know, it's, you're trying to watch some crap footage. Like it was one camera we had filming. Sometimes you miss stuff, and like what to me would be like okay, out of the thousands and thousands of instances I coded, I missed two. Mm. To me, I'm like that's pretty good. But then, to that now I understand. Like I look at it as a player's perspective, I'd be pissed yeah. if an analyst missed a bit of my stuff. I do get pissed when I'm like, I I know what I've done because I've gone and counted myself as a player, and then I look at the analyst stats and they don't match. And I get pissed because I'm like, what are you doing? Mm. So yeah, I kind of get that from a player. But when I first started out, um, I would miss a couple, and the boys would come tell me, "Hey, you missed this." I go, "Oh, I'm sorry," and I'll correct it. And then, uh, but that was like, you know, I forgive myself for first couple of weeks doing that and then like you have to get on it which I felt I did but because I had missed a few for the first couple of weeks I felt boys lost trust in me I made mistakes hands up I made mistakes it's obvious they'd never worked with women before unless they're a physio but like the physios don't make decisions on coaching or like game plays or like stats or like how the players are performing the physio also hates it it's very stereotypical of like People, I think men are okay with women being physios because they kind of see them as a nurse. And kind it's the of role. caring, the caring role. That is exactly it. They mm-hmm. like that and they think, yes, women can be physios because it's that caring, loving, Motherly nurture. Almost. Yeah, nursing role mm-hmm. that they play on the team. And like coaching is done by the men and SNC done by the men. And, <laughs> yeah, literally, just so much masculine energy. Don't get me wrong, I've worked with women who do this as well. And I've worked, yeah, like I've worked with women, just some bad people. Some of these coaches were absolutely fantastic, like great guys. I knew would always like just respect me. And I've gone into a new job as a sports coach and I work with a PE teacher and he treats me as such an equal. Everything he wants my opinion on. Mm. Like he will never make a single decision about my opinion. And like, you know, and like I'm there more as his assistant. I'm there to like serve equipment, run like after school activities, work with kids one on one if they need a bit more help. But yet he will treat me like a complete equal. And it was, I didn't realize how disrespected I was in a job and how unhappy I was in a job until I moved. So yeah. I have a couple of questions. One, what would be your advice to you said you wanted to slap your younger self, but what would you advise her on how to deal with situations? How do you ask for better pay? Or how do you have that commitment to be resolute and walk away from something that might be your dream? Yeah, it's, again, it's a hard one. Like, I, again, like I said, I want to slap myself and be like, why didn't you do this? Mm. At the same time, though, it's like, how do you tactfully do this? And, um, you know, because everyone said to me, like, oh, try this, try that. And, like, you know, write it all down, then go and say it. I think the main thing I would need to do is just be firm. And because, you know what, you go in slightly soft 
they take that as weakness and they will walk all over it. And I did. I'd go in, I thought, I'll just be nice. And I'll ask politely for it kind of thing and kind of be understanding. And, you know, I'd go in, I'd be like, hi, would you mind just talking? And as soon as they felt that weakness, boom, they would be like, nope, we can't do it. And so, yeah, you just got to go and you got to have your points. My mate gave me a really good advice of writing everything down, your points down, what you want, why you want it, what will happen if you don't get it. Simple as that. And yeah, I remember like, even now thinking about when I would go in and like ask for something, my heart like races because I, like, I have so much anxiety talking to someone in the authority to me. And yeah, and so, but now again, like I'm older, I'm like, I'm on, also, I just remember you're on an equal footing. Even though you're young, you're in a place of work. This isn't school with your head teachers or your teachers and you're a student. This is your place of work. You are on an equal footing. You are both there. If it's your boss, you got to like, put the respect in there because they respect their authority but you know what like if someone's gonna treat you like crap then you make their life like you know you don't respect them still you you're civil mm. to them but you don't show them like this like suck up to them almost it's yeah i think there's a fine line between having respect for somebody but also challenging them so you yeah. can still respect them but you have to be willing to challenge respect doesn't mean that you just agree with what everybody says all the time yeah like don't be afraid to if you really feel something's wrong say it and that's the thing again like i would just be like you know not along i just be like one of the yes men be like yep i agree i agree when i went into um the role of the under 20s analyst and the head coach was younger and he was a new head coach and he was young and he was fun he's super nice guy i realized that's what it's like to be respected because he would ask for my opinion he'd go lossie what do you think and i was shocked i was in this meeting and he said to me, he's like, what do you think? What do you think we need to change in coaching? I was like, oh, oh, okay. I was like, well. I have nothing. <laughs> yeah, but then I kind of thought about it and I was like, you look at our stats in game, we're weak in the tackle. We're doing a lot more missed tackles than a normal team. We need to get more physical and do tackling. And he was like, great, thanks. Okay, we're going to do tackling every single session from now on. And I was like, so taken aback. I was like, oh my, and it felt really nice as well. Like he actually respected my opinion. And so I was like, wow, okay. So yeah, with the under 20s, I think, because again, I was working with younger players who would respect my opinion because like they just see me as an adult. Yeah. They're younger than me. They see me as an adult in charge. Mm. And I think, especially at that age, like kind of 18, 19, they don't want to take responsibility of themselves quite yet. They mm. don't see themselves as adults. They see themselves a little bit as children, especially on tour. I think they see themselves a bit at school. Like, you know, you do what you, they're told what to do, what to wear, when to eat. And I think they kind of like that. And so then, yeah, they like having people in charge. So they showed me that respect because they like having someone older in charge. And again, I think because I was a girl, they thought I was like this motherly figure. I was the only female on the management. Like all the physios are boys. Everyone was a boy apart from me. And so then, uh, yeah, they used to come and say stuff to me, which I thought they wanted like, I think they felt like they wanted to come like mothering a little bit. Oh. And yeah, they'd come up and be like, oh, I don't feel very well. And I remember talking to me like, why do I care? <laughs> I'm an analyst. What do you want me to do? I know, I'm an analyst. What do you want me to do about that? Or they'd say stuff like, oh, I feel like this um, with the coaches. And they kind of tell me stuff, which I respect them telling me at the same time. I think they felt if I was the one to tell the coaches this on their behalf, then it would come off as better like, or like softer and they wouldn't be so hard on them. So they'd drop hints to me about how they feel about the way they've been treated and that sort of thing. But again, I was like... I'm the analyst, but yeah, I can see how kind of they saw me as that female motherly kind of side to it, which is quite funny because I remember just the first time it happened, turning to be like, "Why do I care?" 
why do I care about this? Why are you telling me this? What do you want me to do? I don't, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I'm the person who sits in the corner on their laptop all day. Like, what do you want me to do here? So yeah, so I liked working in the under 20s. I felt very respected and like people trusted me. One, I wanted to be like, you know, just part of the part of the gang, part of the boys. Yeah. But again, like, you know, they would, it's like when they swore, they would always apologize. Oh, I hate that so much. It's like, you know, they would say something and go, oh, sorry, Lottie. I don't care. I swear. I know, I swear to, but yeah, that's the thing. Like, yeah, so. Actually, I have a question leading off of that. So you said you were a little bit of a tomboy. You're still a bit of a tomboy, self-admittedly. <laughs> or not so much. Well, I'm glad the viewers can't see what I'm wearing right now. <laughs> yes, I am very much tomboy. But I don't you... like dresses and I don't like heels and I don't wear makeup to work. Like, I think working in the rugby industry and working as a sports coach is the best thing. I wear shorts and t-shirts every day. Yeah. Put my hair in a ponytail. Done. Did you ever feel the need to downplay your femininity to be taken more seriously? Or do you think that was just more who you are and it didn't really matter as much? I think I had to downplay my sensitivity. I might like to dress like in hoodies and shorts and stuff, but end of the day, I'm, I feel quite sensitive about things. So yeah, it's just like, it's like I said, like guys say stuff to each other and just don't care. And I said it to my mom. I was like, he did this to me. She goes, and I was like, no, I can't look him in the eye. My mom's like, Lossie, you know what? Tomorrow he'll forgotten he even did that. And I was like, really? And she goes, guys don't take things personally. Well, a lot of men don't take things personally. She's like, some do, but a lot don't. Like they all say stuff to each other or to other people and not think twice about it. But with women, they will hold on to that for a long, long time. And they will let it bubble over. And like, she was like, and you always also overthink a lot of things. I do overthink a lot of things. Like, you know, someone would give me a glance at work or like kind of make comment after I say something. What they probably thought was they'd been funny, I took it very personally. And like, oh my God, they think I'm shit. Like, you know. Mm. So yeah, I was always very aware of what I was doing and saying. And like, if I, I didn't like to join in the banter and stuff like that just because like, you know, what if I said something wrong, which they didn't find funny or yeah. So um, and things like that work. I kind of kept to myself quite a lot. I talked to my boss a lot and one-on-one I would talk to them, but when they're having like their drinks and stuff, I'd usually sit there in the corner just sipping my beer quietly, which if you looked at me in my friendship group, I'm not that person. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, not downplay things so much. I just think, um, yeah, I would have to hide a lot of emotions. A little bit of tiptoeing. Yeah, a little bit of tiptoeing just to, because then I didn't want them to think they'd made me upset because I knew they would never want to upset me at the same time though. It's hard when you're in that state and you almost can't believe something's happening to you though to one, make rational decisions about what you should do, but two, also have the courage to stand up. Yeah, exactly. And just have like, like, and you must have happened to you. Like you go and you go into a meeting or like you have a conversation with someone and you go, yep, yep, that's all good. And you walk away, you're like, that's, that's not, not good, good at all. <laughs> that is not okay. Why have I just agreed to work five weeks for free? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. But then um, it's, it's like, I had a friend the other day who has just made it full time into a program and uh, I was like oh congratulations you're now full-time in the program rather than part-time I was like you're getting more money now and she went no oh my god and I was like well you should be you've gone from working part-time to full-time you should be getting more money and she was just like if they think I deserve more money they'll give me more money I was oh, like, no. no stop right there I was like this happened to me I was like you need to go in and say if you want me to go full-time you need to pay me more money but again because she's young and she's girl and she doesn't want to cause that's everything everything right now is i don't want to cause trouble i don't want to cause a problem 
So I have a friend getting kicked out. Like her landlord's just gone, you need to be out next week. In the contract, it says a month. And she goes, and I was like, tell him you'll take it to small claims court that he broke the contract. And she went, oh, I don't want to cause trouble. I was like, cause trouble for him? It's your home. It's your home and you're being kicked out in five days time, illegally. I was like, you're not causing trouble. You're fighting for yourself. Yeah. It's a lot of... Um... It's weird that it's got that label because you're exactly right. It's fighting for yourself and mm. standing up for yourself. But why is that causing trouble? <laughs> I had a friend the other day. She fell down a flight of stairs. And... Uh... <laughs> is she okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's fine. But she just did her ankle and someone said, I'm going to call you an ambulance. She went, no, no, no. I don't want to... I don't want to um, waste their time and cause trouble. And I just burst out laughing. I was like... She's like, why are you laughing? And I was like, because... You didn't want to call the emergency services for help. Their job is to help. Yeah. But because you didn't want to cause trouble or like waste people's time, you didn't want it. What were you going to do? Just lie there on the floor with a broken ankle forever. And just wait until and someone carries you. And just wait. Wait till you. it healed. Limp home. And I was like, oh. I've actually done that. I was at a Muay Thai class um, with Cal and Yayan outside. <laughs> No, not Yan, sorry, one of his other... Oh, no, it was Yan. Anyways, bit of ramble. Um, and I sprained my ankle. This was, like, really early on before I think we had officially started dating. And I sprained my ankle so badly, I couldn't walk. And I managed to get... I was like, oh, no, it's okay, go, 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 go home, like, go get your ferry, I'll be fine. And I managed to make it across the street, and I got into the taxi, and I was in tears. Like, I would stop, the taxi would stop, and my ankle would be in pain. And I'm like, oh, and mom's like, why didn't you yell at them to, like, help you? And I'm like, I don't want to cause trouble. And I'm like, I somehow got myself across the road with like an ankle that's been sprained in two places and i'm like i know i just can't believe this attitude of i don't want to cause trouble yeah and then like you get some you read some articles online or like you know in the paper on instagram and stuff like that about people who call ambulances for broken fingers and stuff (laughs) and you're like why didn't you just jump in a cab yeah you know you broke your finger yeah that must have hurt but at the same time your legs work you can walk you're not going to pass out from pain. So you're fine. But then like there are other instances like she's lying on the floor. It's raining with a broken ankle. And she's like, no, it's fine. Just carry on. Leave me. And she's just so like, in, she's like I'm so embarrassed. I was like, Why are you embarrassed? Okay. It's kind of funny that you slipped. Or, like, you know, it's funny. We can laugh now, but. But you're in pain. But yeah. And you, you thought, oh, it's okay. I don't want to cause trouble. That was your first thought. And it just amazes me how like they don't want to put themselves first. I don't know if it's a feminine thing, like, you know, like, oh, don't put, like, you know, put myself second compared to other people's feelings, and, but yeah, I just couldn't believe it when she was like, oh, I didn't want to cause any trouble. And same with this girl, I don't want to cause trouble, or I don't want to ask and cause trouble. Like, what, what is the harm in asking? Can I please be paid for what I deserve? Can I be paid for the full-time job that I'm doing instead of a part-time job I used to have? Yeah, exactly. I was like, and I said to her, I was like, unless you ask in this world you're not gonna get yeah and that's, that's one thing so like, important the worst they can say is no and then you gotta fight a bit harder but then uh yeah that's one thing i would say like to my younger self is what's the worst that can happen if you ask but you're so right that's all they can say is no yeah all they can say is no like but again i was just so worried that if they did say no what will they think of me i know how will they perceive me how will they be treated after yeah. they say no to me but it's you're re- right they yeah. won't remember it the next day it's really funny and like my friend gave me a bit of advice because I used to stress about everything especially rugby rugby was my biggest stress and uh every little decision that was made everything was said like when I used to think back on my games like you know or like I was I didn't have a great gym session or something like that I used to really stress about it because I thought that's it I'm cut from the team I had one bad training I'm done and then uh my friend she's quite a bit older than me 
been in like playing she's 32 now been playing professional sports since she was 18 just retired from professional sport wow and she said to me she was like you'll learn this but it's something i learned kind of over the age of 25 and up and i was like what she goes give a fuck and i was like what she goes give a fuck she was like unless you can't catch a rugby ball or you can't run who cares she's like you've had one bad training session who cares let it go she goes why do you get so upset by one bad i was like oh because they remember she goes they don't remember it they go yeah she had a bad training session and they moved on you have five in a row then you start asking the question okay something needs to change but until then give a fuck yeah. And that's like, literally, I said it to an 18 year old the other day as well, because she was stressing about something, her weight. She was stressing about her weight. And um, I said to her, I was like, you're the fittest person on our team, and you're probably one of the best rugby players in the country. Give a fuck that you weigh that much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you could see, like, it was really upsetting. She was like, why do I weigh so much? I shouldn't weigh that much. I'm like, give a fuck, dude. Yeah. Who cares? So, yeah. So, yeah, it would be another one. I try and tell a lot of young players that, like, until it really affects your game, don't care. Do you don't think, let it stress you. Do you think that's up to the coaches to set that kind of environment? Whereas if there's a coach and you've had a bad training session and they're yelling at you for all the missed balls and stuff like that, it's easy to get in your head. But is it, is it up to the coach to be like, look, okay, get over it. Give a fuck. Next training session, do better. That's yeah, it. I think it's so important because I think um, with us, it's they make it that atmosphere of, you've messed up and you know the worst thing is is um they can they can contact you at any time now you know it could be 11 at night and you could get a text being like hey i watched your game on the weekend you um didn't play very well not many instances not much game time does that actually happen yeah if they fancy texting you they'll text you that's got to be some sort of professional if they have an opinion and they want to get hold of you yeah i've got texts at that time like i've come home from trainings and got texts like that. Literally, as I'm about to go to bed, I made the mistake of like checking my phone. Oh. And it said, um, wasn't your best training tonight. Let's hope you do better on Tuesday. Do you think I slept that night? No. I was so upset. I immediately went online, decided to look up the footage of training to see every little bit of my moments that like I did well, I did badly. And then I looked at my watch and I was like, it's 3 a.m. I have to be up for work in three hours. But I've spent most of the night sitting watching myself analyzing every single little thing yeah, i don't even know good. what to say to that because i feel like that's with a lot of jobs in hong kong people will just hold you accountable like at all hours of night and it's like i need time to myself i'm not going to perform better the next day by you hounding me at midnight yeah exactly and like but it also to me just shows a complete lack of self-awareness like when people fuck up they know they fucked up for the I most know. part for the most part people have self-awareness and they are holding themselves accountable I love, I know, I love that. I'm an adult. I know when I've done wrong. It's not like like a 14-year-old who hasn't learned how to play rugby, might not understand, like, what they did wrong with positioning or whatever. Explain it to them. But there's a way you say it. There's a time you say it. Not at 11 o'clock at night via text. And also, they know that they missed the ball. Yeah. You don't need to curse them out for it or call them names. and Exactly. Like, and, um, because I remember, like, having a lot of trouble over sleeping, like, just because... After I would come back from training and I would immediately analyze myself oh. and it didn't help. I was an analyst. So then yeah. I kind of knew every single detail I was looking for and like, you could do it well. <laughs> and I know what the coaches say. Cause I'd been in that environment for so long. Mm. I know exactly what coaches think and they say, and they are brutally honest, but they have to be, they're looking for like, you can't be nice in this industry. You need the best. And so then, um, 
But then I would play these images of them watching it and thinking these things. And that really like stressed me out. So yeah, like um, I talked to someone and she was saying to me, she's like, okay, um, two hours before you go to sleep, you don't go on your phone and you don't go on your laptop unless you're watching something calming like Friends, classic, <laughs> always be a classic Friends. Uh, friends or like, you know, a sitcom or something easy to watch. Easy, you can just kind of- Comfort food. Yeah, comfort food in TV, yeah. She's like, you don't go on your phone, you don't do this, you don't do that, no screen time apart from like you're watching on your TV, not your laptop. TV, you can watch a nice comforting, I'm going to bed now thing or do a Sudoku or read a book. She was like, and that really helped. And that, you know what? If I did get a text from my coach, I'd see it and I'd just put it down. Yeah. I just was like, no, I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to, it can wait till the morning. That's a good mm. tip for people though, to set boundaries for yourself. Oh, boundaries are so important. Like, especially when you're playing a sport, which is only part-time your life. I get for like elite athletes, really no, it's important for elite athletes as well. They need to have those boundaries of I'm at work, I'm not at work. And in Hong Kong, it doesn't seem to make a difference. Like I used to get texts at 11 at night saying, I need a video for tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. And I thought that was normal. Yeah. And so I used to make them. I used to spend up all night making them. And then when I sat there watching, I'd stress the whole time that something would be wrong. But then uh, now I'm in this new job. I remember the first time, like my first week watching there, working there even, um, I text my boss on the weekend to ask him about something about Monday. And he just texted me back saying, hey, glad you're already thinking about this. However, on the weekend, we don't contact each other. She goes, unless it's an emergency, like you can't come in tomorrow don't don't text don't email no nothing like only emergencies yeah the only time we talk about work is between 7 30 and 3 p.m after that no emails no anything unless it's an emergency but like you said that was your boss right who said that to you that's my boss in my new job exactly he was so yeah exactly you need the people in authority to set the pace and set the tone for what is going to be happening oh that's bang on right and in my last job working with the union it was the opposite it was this job doesn't have hours this job is on when you need to be. I'm getting like, you know, in that industry, it needs to be like that. You don't know when a player is going to get injured and you got to then, the physios need to then work on a Sunday to help them. And like, you know, I'm very grateful for that because I've been that player who gets injured on a Saturday, Sunday needs to see a physio and a physio's come in to see me. So I'm very grateful for that. But yeah, I never realized again, because that's all the industry I'd ever known until like I've just left last year that that's not how jobs work. So yeah, it's so nice now kind of having boundaries and a lot of people say to me you ever go back into analysis honest answer I don't know just because I've been out of it for so long I feel like I would struggle to get back into it and you know learn the routines but also it's so nice having almost a normal life a normal routine yeah what people consider normal working nine to five hours being done then being able to go out for a drink not working evenings having hobbies that I can actually fit into my timetable, not doing around my podcasts. timetable. <laughs> yeah, doing podcasts. Yeah. Do you think, I've had a conversation with you before where you've said that being an analyst for the English women's team would be like your dream. How hard was it to walk away actually from your job as an analyst? It was a hard one because I didn't walk away. Like with COVID, yeah. I was made redundant. And if that hadn't happened, I would still be in that job right now. Would you have walked away, given everything you know now, given... No, because I had no idea what I wanted to do. Yeah. That was the issue, is in Hong Kong, that was the only position which would take my degree. No one else would take, like, you know, they, they don't have analysts in other sports. And if they do, I'm not, like, cricket, I'm not 
qualified to do cycling. I'm not qualified gymnastics. I'm not qualified to do any of these things. And um, a lot of them also, you have to speak Cantonese or Mandarin, which again, I don't do. So um, yeah, I never kind of, the reason why I kind of had this hold over me at the union was because I had nowhere else I could go. That's why I always agreed and wanted to keep them happy and never challenge them because I was like, if I get fired or they say no and they ask me to leave, I got nowhere to go unless back to the UK. So it wasn't necessarily that it was the dream environment, the dream job. No, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. I did enjoy working there and they gave me a lot, but I felt like when I was made redundant, it was almost like um, a good thing. Mm. It was like, it was, yeah, like I was super upset when it first happened. And of course course. I'd made redundant with like 20 other good people at that union who had given their lives to it and didn't deserve to be made redundant. Unfortunately, the circumstance sports in right now had to happen. And so I walked away and I was a little bit like, well, I knew it was kind of time to walk away when I didn't really care. Yeah. I was upset I wasn't going to make money. At the same time, I was a bit like, cool. Blessing in disguise. Yeah, blessing in disguise. And um, so I walked away and I was made redundant. And then the panic started setting on what the hell am I going to do now? No one else is going to take an analyst. I'm not qualified in anything. I don't speak Cantonese. Like I, I thought I would have to move back to the UK. And then the panic set in of what am I going to do when I go back to the UK? Like, again, no one's hiring in sport. If I did go back, I would have to go back to being an intern because that's how you start in the UK. Like analysts usually, you know, stay on for a long time, but no one's going to take me. As much as experience as I had, people in the UK don't consider Hong Kong as like a big rugby nation. Like, yeah, so they don't see us as a big deal at all. And so then, yeah, like I would only go in as an intern unpaid intern as well it's hard and yeah so I took a bit of a break and I had like six months off and I did some really odd jobs signed up for food panda at one point oh really yeah Hmm. (laughs) applied for food panda um applied for a lot of schools because then I had a friend who said to me you would make a great assistant PE teacher and again I kind of ummed and ahed because I was like you know I'm 26 do I want to be an assistant in a school I've, but then, yeah, I did some coaching. Then COVID killed the coaching industry. There was no jobs going there. And then so I started going for schools as just an assistant teacher. I was like, you know, I could work with kids. And um, then this job came up that I'm in now and it's fantastic and I love it. And already I, I started off as an assistant PE teacher. They moved me on to being a, sport time, a full-time sports coach, which not many you know people get. So now I'm a sports coach in a school they've offered if I'd like to do a PGC and go into teaching full-time so this has just like opened so So many many. doors Mm. and again like like I said it's a job I'm so happy and I needed a change yeah yeah but then um so I no I I can't see myself going back into analysis Mm. even though that would be the dream like you know work for England work for England rugby in any position you know I'm the admin officer but I work for the RFU like so yeah so that's everyone's dream I think is to work for their country's national team yeah and uh, so, yeah, I'm like, no, I don't think I'd go back into it. It was a nice dream, but it's gone. <laughs> I have more dreams now. More dreams, more, more doors dreams. have opened. Yeah, so many doors have opened. More dreams. Has your experience in elite sport changed the way that you act as a sports coach now? Has it changed the way I act as a sports coach? Yeah, I think it has. Um, I try not to baby players so much. Hmm. I feel like, you know, I've yeah, I think as a coach, I don't like to baby players i say to them like i 
really make sure like you know I get there and I'm like girls I texted saying this is the equipment you need I'm one coach like you know you girls can get the equipment out and you can put it back I'll do the rest and you work hard in the training so I make sure like that sort of thing like don't baby them don't like make them feel like princesses also basic respect though basic respect yeah just basic stuff like that it's like when they throw stuff at me I'm like did you just throw that at me Mm. like so yeah just basic respect for human beings we're not your servants. Mm. Like, that's an interesting perspective coming from sports staff that you were, and then obviously a player, but you're still falling on the line of don't act like a protected breed, basically. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, you know, be polite to your physios. They're not here as your massage masseuses. You know, like. Yeah. So yeah, some stuff like that. Some stuff I'm like, can you just stop being such prince and princesses? Which I think actually, in the women's team, I think they're very good at. I think because the women have to fight for a lot of things and they look after themselves and we have a very very good physio who's like there for us non-stop like if you ever go up to him and say like i have an injury he will look at it and he will give you a hundred percent of his attention which um is fantastic to have because we haven't had physios before who've done that and um i think the coaches as well give us a hundred percent of their effort hundred percent of their time we're very lucky with the hong kong women's team and a lot of the premiership teams here as well like with the women the respect we get from our support staff and our coaches but i think because again we're not very high maintenance i actually have a question for you we were talking about this the other day so many of the questions that we come up with on here are just arguments that callum and i have had Um, (laughs) so there's a difference in my mind between someone who's good at sport and someone who is an athlete so i think a lot of people that i've been around are good at their sport but they're not what i'd consider a good athlete and to me athlete comes with that mindset of like you said you're paid to do this this is your job this should be like not many people get to run around on a pitch and call and get paid a full-time salary for that. So the least you could do is try to do your best at that thing in my mind. And when they don't do that or their best, I associate them as good rugby players or good hockey players, good whatever, but not a good athlete. So do you draw a distinction there? Or do you think that if you're a professional athlete in any terms, you can earn that term? You can athlete? be a bad professional athlete. Yeah. So okay. that's the thing. Like you're paid to do your, that's, your title because like if you fit the definition of you're paid to play sport whether you're good or bad at it is another mm. thing you can be a bad professional or you can be a superb professional yeah so yeah and i don't know it's worse being a good sports person or a bad professional like, like i'd rather be known as a good sports person than a bad professional like yeah. because then you're just you're failing if you're a bad professional you're failing mm. if you're good at sport it's like wow you have a bonus to your life like whatever you do but you've got this on top of it to me, it's all about the ego that the term oh. athlete brings. Some people, the ego it brings with it. I'm super proud to play for Hong Kong. Like, I, it's it's a huge achievement of mine. It's one of my proudest things that I played for Hong Kong. The women's, like, should be very proud because they're a local team. I think there's oh, maybe less than 10 of us who don't have any Chinese in us. And there's only one player who was not raised here. So... For the nine of us who have no Chinese in us, like we're not Eurasian, we're just like, you know, expats bring over here. We were born and bred here. So Hong Kong is our home. We've known nothing else. Yeah, of that, we got one girl who did the visa and waited five years to play. And mm-hmm. then again, like she didn't come out here being like, I'm going to be a rugby player. She came out here doing her job, got picked up because she's an outstanding rugby player and she's eligible now to play for us because she lived here for five years. So she took the opportunity, which I think is completely fair. So yeah, it's, again, the ego on some of them. 
but then there are some players here who just you know they've yeah they've lived here they've done their time of living here for five years whatever it is and they are just great rugby players but also just great people as well and like yeah and to, for them to be like I'm a professional athlete I'd be like yeah I would look at you as a role model for kids yeah yeah that's actually a good way of defining success in professional sport would I let my kid look up to you and be like this is what you have to be like if you want yeah, to be a do professional I look athlete up to you as a sports yeah. person that's yeah, the thing. Exactly. Like, yeah, you have to have role models. And yeah, do I look at them and be like, I'd love to play like them or I'd love to like have the way like, you know, they have the respect to their team or be a leader like them or be a role model. I'd like love to have those aspects of them. And that's when yeah, I'm like, yeah, you're a professional. You just hold yourself in such a way you should be proud to say I'm a professional athlete. Yeah. And some of them are just like, oh my God, you buy the title. Just because you're paid doesn't mean you are a good professional athlete. Yeah, so you would still call them an athlete, but just... Yeah, they're still an athlete. Yeah. A bad professional athlete. Yeah. I'm very picky with who I call athlete. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned, Lottie, that playing for Hong Kong is one of your proudest moments. Would that be at the top? Or what else are you proud of? What makes you feel like, yes, I have accomplished something? It's really funny that you should say that because when I was young, that's all I wanted. Like, I just, I would go down to every single women's game. And it would be funny because, like, it was back when, like, women's rugby really wasn't popular in Hong Kong. And um, my mum would take me down to every single one. And we'd just go sit there and we'd watch the games. And, like, if we'd be, like, one of the only two in the crowd kind of thing. And I would go watch every single, like, women's premiership, grand champs final. Again, this is when it was being played and, like, the back pitch of King's Park would hardly, only women watching, hardly anyone, while the men's grand champs happened on the pitch next door. Huge crowd on the screen, commentators, cameras, like, you know, all in the newspaper the next day. And yeah, you wouldn't even know the women's game was going on. It'd just be like, oh, a local game next door happening kind of thing. So, um, yeah, and then I grew up in the national age grade program as well, when it was just starting up, like one of the first in the, like when they started the under 18 girls team was in that side of the program. And then I got my first cap at 19. Wow. Um, was awful. <laughs> we lost to Singapore. But again, like, um, went along, saw what it was first like to like play in a women's senior rugby, went to university, and yeah, that's when, like, and a lot of the girls played for Wales or England or Ireland in my team, and they were just like, you know, they would go and play in the Six Nations. I thought that's so cool, like, to have an international cap. And yeah, I was kind of, I was very proud to be part of that, to be like, oh, I've got one for Hong Kong. And like, they'd laugh at me, but at the end of the day, I still had an international cap with them. And then uh, when I came back, that's all my focus was on, was making the Hong Kong national team. I wanted it so bad. And then I got it. And it was a bit strange. I didn't really feel much fulfillment. It's, yeah, it's really, really weird. Like, it's what I wanted all the time. Like, I wanted to get a cap. And then I got it, and I was super proud for, like, a day. And then I was like, oh, okay, all that hard work. And I kind of didn't really have the fulfillment I thought I would have. And again, it's the same, like, um, I thought I had my proudest moments when I won the Grand Champs with my team. And again, we'd worked so hard, and we won, and it was kind of unbelievable. And I thought at the time, like, it kind of felt a bit weird because we'd, it was just so many emotions, and yeah, I was super happy. Again, the next day, I was like, I don't really have much fulfillment. Like, this hasn't fulfilled my need of what I was looking for. And I felt a bit low again. So I always thought rugby would be my proudest moment, proudest achievement. But 
it was when actually, it sounds so stupid, I got injured. I realized like what I was super proud of when, um, so I, I was, we're training for a tour to go to Fiji and three days for Fiji, I tore my ACL and it was super weird. It was, a uh, it was hard to hear because at the time they didn't know I'd torn it. I thought I'd done something quite badly. The physios thought I'd be okay. And it was all, oh, you'll be fine. We'll just take you to Fiji. You won't play the first game. And it was the day before they left to Fiji. They finally said to me, um, we're not going to take you. We don't think you're going to be able to play either game. So we're not going to take you. We're not going to risk you either. Just in case there is something that you've done seriously wrong. And so they made the right call, which I got super upset about. But I think at the end of the day, I was going just going to miss my team, my friends. I love going on tour. Tour is my favorite thing. So I love being with everyone. I love playing the games. I love like the trainings, the hard work, the kind of that being a sense of belonging or that being in a team. The community. The community, yeah. Like that is just my ultimate favorite thing. I just love being with my team. It's so special. And um, then went back, had a scan, found out I'd torn my ACL, I'd need surgery and I was going to be out for a minimum of a year. And... Yeah, like just it broke me when I heard that, and I thought it's because my first thought is, oh my god, I can't play in this tournament, I can't play in that tournament, I'm going to miss this much rugby. Surgery was my first thing actually of, oh god, I need surgery. And um, I always remember saying to a few friends, they were like, when are you going to stop playing? I was like, I'll stop playing rugby um, if I around thirty years old, or if I ever do a serious injury which needs an operation there we go, like had it. And I was like, oh God, like now I have to retire. Cause I just always told myself like, if this happens, I'd retire. Cause I don't think I'll ever come back from it. And then uh, went seven, had the operation, went seven months of rehab and was not getting any better really. Like my knee was just, well, you saw it, it was just in pieces. Like I couldn't, I could barely walk. I looked like Quasimodo oh. limping along and then found out the operation hadn't gone quite well. And so I needed a second operation. To fix the first to operation. To fix the first operation. Surgeons get better. <laughs> God. Yeah, can't you get it right the first time? <laughs> and so then, um, but the one thing they said to me was, they were like, we don't know if the second operation is going to make a difference. It's a risky operation. No one, it took four surgeons before we found someone willing to try it. And even as I was like being wheeled into the room, I remember him saying on the phone to someone, I'm just about to do the surgery on this girl's knee. Not sure what I'm going to do yet, but I have an idea. No one wants to hear that as you're about to go under. So, uh, but yeah, they were very honest with me and they said like, this might not work. We don't know if this is going to work. But anyway, they did the operation and I knew I'd work straight away when I woke up. I just straightened my knee. It just felt so much better. And yeah, it just, it just changed my life. Like the second operation. I'm so glad that this guy was willing to take the risk to try it and that I kind of took the risk to try it. But yeah, I think my proudest moment is figuring out I'm so much stronger than I think what other people thought of me and also myself, like coming back from injury, like the first time I ran, the first time, like, you know, I even just did a little jog and I was like, oh, look at that. And then I remember being so scared as I did my first jump and the physio like holding my hand so I could jump and like realizing, oh, I can do that. You know, the first time I sprinted, the first time, that's all the firsts again, which was so stupid. And when I used to walk to work, I used to go past this shop, which had like a mirror. And I remember that every time I walked past it, when um, I had my first operation, I'd always look at the angle of my knee and be like, it's so crooked. It's so wrong. 
And then like every time after that, I pass it and I could be like, look how straight my leg is. Look how normal I walk with it. So yeah, just having moments like that of just like, I, you know, I did that. Like I had so much help from physios and surgeons, but at the end of the day, I had to make my legs strong. I had to push myself. I had to fight through the pain. And then it was that first game I went on to play and it was like, um, just because in Hong Kong, everyone knows each other. When you're playing, like, you know, basically everyone from the opposite team, which is such a nice community. And I came on for the last 20 minutes of a game against probably my favorite club to play. We have loads of friends in it. And I ran on and just, they all started clapping. Oh, that's beautiful. And it was such a nice moment of like, I'd done it. Yeah. Yeah. Oof, getting emotional. No, about that's it. okay. I'm um, like crying over here. <laughs> feel you so much but yeah I realized like that was my fulfilling moment of I was like wow like I've really achieved something yeah you have yeah it's a horrible like I completely I want to come over there and give you a hug but <laughs> we're gonna hear some banging on the floor so yeah. <laughs> I will save it for the end but, um, <sighs> but it is you did it and imagine I like I <laughs> all people completely understand how you feel you were literally like not able to walk I saw you and I was asking you like how's the running going and you're like oh fuck <laughs> and like under your breath and the change few cheers a few cheers but you did it and you came back they didn't know if it was going to work you didn't know if it was going to work but you just have to have faith in yourself and yeah. you did that and you came back and it's so weird hearing you set those limits on yourself like if I get injured I'm going to retire and that's it but that's just the then importance. here I am exactly <laughs> wanting to play rugby again and yes it's it was such a that was my fulfilling moment and I realized that's what I'm proud of like it doesn't matter of all the achievements I made in rugby I'm proud of them don't get me wrong but this is what gave me fulfillment to know that I can come back and like I worked so hard and there were so many tears and I went to like a really dark place as well like mentally where like, you know, it took quite a few people to help me get out. At the end of the day, like I had to get myself out of that. And it taught me so much about myself. Like when I do feel this mood coming back, I have so many coping mechanisms now and I have a support system I can turn to and like actually talk to my mum about it, which I never opened up to before. Like, you know, I remember telling her like, uh, actually when I started seeing a therapist, and um, I went, because I, I, I went and saw a doctor and he was talking to me about my knee and he kind of picked it up and he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I just feel miserable all the time. He was like, I have no motivation. Like, I have so much anxiety. Like, I don't like being in crowds. I can't cope with people talking to me about my knee. Like, I stay away from people just because I don't want to have this conversation. So he said to me, he was like, go see this woman. Like, she's good. She talks. Like, two sessions in and, like, already she was just making me feel better and giving me so many coping mechanisms, how to sleep better, like how to take control of my life more. And yeah, I remember then um, she asked me, she's like, have you told your parents you're here? Or like, who knows you're here talking to me? And I said, no one. And she's like, well, I was like, I'm embarrassed. She's like, why are you embarrassed? Why is it embarrassing to talk to someone? I was like, well, I, you know, depression is something which a lot of people experience. And also like a lot of people are going through a lot worse than me. I was like, I've had an injury. I'm not even a professional athlete. I'm just someone who likes rugby and plays rugby a lot. And I've had an injury, which has stopped me playing it. And because of that, my whole life is shutting down. I was like, it makes me realize I need more in my life. And also like, I can't cope with things, like the small thing and I just can't cope. A lot of people are going through so much worse. And she was just like, 
no, no. Which she was like, that's okay. Don't be embarrassed by that. You should never be embarrassed. She was like, okay, so you've realized a few things about yourself. That's good. Now, how do we learn to cope with what you've realized? And yeah, again, she, she made me realize like rugby isn't my whole life. And I'm more than just rugby. That's the problem. I thought I lost my whole identity when I lost rugby. But no, it's, I realized like, no, now I've taken up different hobbies. I trail run now. This is the girl who wouldn't run two kilometers, <laughs> like, you know, before I got injured. Now yeah. I go on 10K trail runs with my friends. You had to completely redefine yourself. Yeah. And you need to give yourself credit for that. I know you said that that's your fulfillment, but you need to like actually take a second and be like, fuck yes. I know, exactly. Like, look what I've achieved. Like, yeah. I'm a whole different person. I'm so much happier. I'm healthier. Like, you know, now, because I think lots of people experience this now with COVID. It's also like, you must be going nuts not being able to go to a gym. Hmm. Like, you know, and that's your work. That's your life. Like, you know, you like working out. And I'm sure there are loads of people who are feeling that as well when they, that's what they used to do to cope and like stress relievers go to the gym and now they can't. They must be going absolutely crazy. And that's the kind of what I was feeling for the 16 months I was out of rugby. I was like, I can't do anything. And again, like I was watching all my friends succeed, you know, they were all going out on tours. Like they were going, because I had to keep going training also. And all I do is run around and watch them train and watch them get better. And that's something I felt like I was just falling behind. That's what also killed me. It's like every day they train and I don't, I'm falling behind. And so, yeah, I let a lot of it get to me and that was my whole identity. And then, yeah, I've redefined myself from this injury. And again, it's something that kind of happened for the better. Can I interrupt you? At the beginning of this, you introduce yourself only in relation to rugby things. So would you like to take a moment and tell me a few more things about yourself? How do you define yourself now? I'm Lottie, I'm a sports coach, I'm 27 years old, I like trail running, I like going to the gym, I like hanging out with my friends, I like sailing, I love being in the ocean, even though I hate sand, so <laughs> I don't like beaches, but I, um, I love being in the ocean, I love going and having moments in nature, which I never did before, I thought meditating was a bit of a weird thing to do, but no, just sitting there, looking out at nature, yeah. I'm kind, I'm compassionate, <laughs> I'm a Stop friend. It. Stop it. Um, I drink a, too much tea. Um, she says as she's drinking tea. <laughs> it's a good cup of tea you've made. But yeah, and, um, and I like playing rugby. But it's just a part of you. It's just a part of me, yeah. Which I thought, I never thought would be the thing. I always yeah. worried, what will I do when I retire? And you know, I think I'll coach. And I'd like to stay in coaching, I'd like to stay in rugby, but... You know what? I'm also excited to take up a new sport. And then COVID's hit because what was I going to take up? It was some weird sport. I was like, I really want to do cricket. I really want to start playing cricket. I loved it at school. I think I'm terrible at it. I just don't join a fun team. But no, I really love cricket. And so I was going to join this cricket team. And then COVID hit. So yeah, I enjoy sailing. So yeah, I think um, even though it was horrible at the time and so painful when it happened... I think getting injured was the best thing to define me and to let me know, like, I can step out of my comfort zone and go further and, like, you know, experience things. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, and I will never repeat this, so people will have to listen to this if they want to hear me say it again, but in some ways, like, having my injury as well really helped. Like, I was very much driven by aesthetics working out. I was very much driven by how I looked in comparison to other people for... Better for, definitely for worse. <laughs> but having my hip, I was like, okay, no, I have to like redefine myself by other things. So I, 
again went into uni and stuff like that and did sports science now I'm going to do my master's because I know that I have some worth there outside of how I look or how I train but it's a hard thing to redefine yourself yeah when that's all people have seen of you your whole life exactly what advice would you have for people going through something similar (sighs) you said you pulled yourself out of depression which is a crazy thing we need to take a moment to celebrate that as well (laughs) Again, at the time, I was so embarrassed by it. Because that's the thing. She kept, like, they wrote on my, um, what's it, referral letter, anxiety and depression. And I read it, and I was so embarrassed. And I handed it over to the therapist, and she read it, and she was like, have you read this? And I was like, yeah, sorry, I thought it was for me. And she goes, okay, you're not meant to read this, but um, how do those words make you feel? And I burst into tears, and she was like, okay so not great and yeah. I was like I'm just so embarrassed like this shouldn't be me. I'm like nothing is wrong in my life apart from this and it's so stupid and she was like it's weird what makes things trigger isn't it and yeah and getting out of depression that was like I know like some people must be like oh you had an injury but yeah getting out of it it's super hard but it's definitely people you surround yourself with and being open like it's, I remember like it's like I was saying before I was going to tell my mum and I was so nervous. I said to my mom, I was like, can I have a word with you? I think she thought I was going to tell her something really bad or something like that. And then, um, well, I guess this isn't exactly great news. But then, and I told her, I was like, um, I don't want to freak you out. It's not a big deal, but I'm on antidepressants. Yeah. Hit her for six, like her face. And I think like just because like back in our mom's generations, like being depressed and being on antidepressants meant like, there was something seriously wrong with you and they were addicting and like, yeah. you know, and so and that's what my worried my mom. She was like, I don't want you on antidepressants for the rest of your life. And then, yeah, and just like made me a lot more open with her. I've been able to like talk to her. And that even now, like if I'm getting upset about things, I call her and I talk. I'm so open with her, which I wasn't before. So I don't so want to worry important. her. Yeah, exactly. Don't, we don't, don't want to, we don't want to bother mom. people. You yeah, don't want to bother don't people. Don't want to bother people and like worry them. And yeah. And so like, yeah, it's just in- increased my relationship definitely with my parents. My friends also, like, being able to just, like, op- just also be now, like, openly talk about it. Yeah. I'm not ashamed that I went to therapy. I'm not ashamed that I had depression. Like, but it's so important that people can feel like they can talk about it. Exactly. And that even if you're just having a bad day, I know they say, like, it's okay not to be, it really is okay not to be okay. It's okay to say, I'm having the worst month of my life and just sit there and talk to someone about it. And, like, you know, not when people tell me about their problems... I'm really trying to make myself aware not to give solutions unless they ask for them. Yeah. Just let them rant. Let them tell me like how upset they are. And until they go, what do you think? Mm. Give them a solution. Or if you have something to say, and I'm so guilty of offering solutions because I just want to help people. But I think like going back to what we said before about boundaries, it's so important. Just asking me like, well, do you want to hear what I think about it? Can I give you some advice? And they can say no. Yeah. And they can be like, no, I just, I'm good now. I just need to get off my chest. Yeah. Like... And I think yeah. also with that, it's important to know if you do open up to somebody and they are, or if they do receive it badly, don't let that stop you from opening up to somebody else. Yeah. There Just, will be people who will listen and who will care and take it as important. Yeah. And that's exactly like when um, I was going through my bad time, like I did try, because that's again, like this, my therapist said to me, she's like, have you tried talking to a friend about it? Talk to someone who's been injured, talk to someone who's not been injured. And I actually went and talked to someone and um, said to them, like, because they had had a few setbacks in their career about it. 
and they totally got it and it was something we really bonded over and we were like saying like how we felt and like how they felt and how they coped with it and like you know and they actually said to me like stay away from rugby and I was like what I, I want to be part of the team and they're like no 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 stay away from it and just you know watch it as a supporter because that's nice you get to watch from a different point of view mm. and I did that and I was like oh my god how much better is this I go to games I have a beer on the side support my team I go talk to them after and just took myself completely out of it and it was actually so good it made me feel so and their advice was so great and then it was funny a few months ago I had a friend who um we were all in like a big group chatting about it and she kind of mentioned it and then I text her later just going like hey I just want to let you know that if you need to have a coffee or a chat you can talk to me and um, I was like, I, this is how I felt when I was injured for a long time. And I kind of got the vibe you were feeling it too. And she texted me back going, and just someone like, I didn't really know to start with, like, we're friends, but we weren't close. We were just on the same team. And then she texted me back going, oh my God, like, I'm so glad you've said this. I've been wanting to talk to someone. I just didn't know how to open up, but because we've experienced the same thing. And we had a coffee and we are so much closer now, just because we shared that moment together of like, it's okay to not be okay and to say like this is the worst year of my life and then but then like also for someone to give you hope of like it does get better you will get better like it there is like silver lining at the end doesn't matter how long it takes we'll support you through it but you will get out of it mm. yeah yeah that's making me reflect on my own situation but, yeah, like with you like how do you feel like with your situation now I am still very much in the negative, I don't want to talk about it phase. Um, Mostly just because I feel bad that I've had three surgeries for people who don't know on my hip. And I feel bad that I'm not better. Like, I feel like everyone around me has invested so much time and energy taking care of me. Like when I've been on crutches, like my mom literally, God bless her as well, (laughs) like cleaned up my piss from the toilet and stuff. Like, it was just horrible. I was so useless and, like, codependent and, like... But I feel bad for not being more better. I feel bad for not being better at this stage after so much. And so I don't like talking about it with other people because I'm like... Oh, so we same. cut this from the podcast. Yeah, so this cutting... No okay. one's going to hear this. We'll, we'll end this now. <laughs> we'll leave thank it you in. for listening. Just <laughs> randomly cuts and it goes back to Lottie being like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> no, I'll leave it in. Um... But yeah, I just, I we'll feel have guilty. Later. Yeah, we'll have a coffee. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll have a coffee later when the microphone's on. You can come on. back in and like interview me and be like, we'll just sit here crying together. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, it's amazing hearing you talk about it because it definitely is so important to be open. And I know I'm guilty of that. I know I'm guilty of not speaking to people around me when I'm like, I would love to go for a hike, but I know I'm going to be taking two hours for what could be a half an hour hike. And I don't want to put other people through that. But like Are we racing? Said, Are we on some Grand Champs hiking I know. race? No. And it's because I don't want to bother people. So I know, I'm I know what you mean though. It's like it. when um, I was on my crutches, I'd always say to people, go ahead, just walk ahead on me. And they're like, no, I don't mind walking at snail's pace with you. I know. And we but, wouldn't feel that way if we no. did that with other people. But you know, like when I said like, you know, reaching out and talking to people, you were one of the people I related to so much when you were saying to me like, I've had two hip operations and this is still the situation. And like, you know, with me, mine was an ACL, something that does thousands of people get them done every day. And you know the rehab, you know the what you, you were literally in the unknown. And the surgeons with you were in the unknown and still are a bit. And so, yeah, like when you were the one talking to me, I was like, okay, yeah, this is perspective. This is, I'm on this. and I just got to keep going down my straight road of recovery 
you're on like winding path around the mountains <laughs> and yet i was like how is she still so professional at her job kind to others willing to talk so yeah so you were I'm a massive cry. support system for me i love hearing like compliment me more why don't you <laughs> but um i hate hearing people diminish what they're going through like yes perspective is important but like what you went through is so real and it shouldn't have to be compared to me or compared to anyone else for it to be impactful if that makes sense yeah, like what your therapist bit. said you were saying oh well it feels so like other people have things worse than me that's like okay but we're not talking about other people we're talking about you this is something that you went through and you've done amazing coming out of it this is just like descending into us complimenting each other back and forth i know forth. i love like, it that's just so wholesome all day <laughs> but you shouldn't but that's when i realized mm. that was my first time i've ever felt fulfillment in yeah. my life was like and like such an achievement it wasn't the walking it like well it was everything little it was like like i said like the first few steps i took it was the first step was to decide to have the surgery yeah and to be brave enough to go in because i'm terrified of all that there were tears as they put me under trust me it was yeah not a pretty sight um so yes yeah, so it was that first step of going to surgery then it was you know walking without crutches walking jogging realizing something was wrong yet fighting through it finally agreeing to a you know an experimental surgery getting that done learning to walk again like now I've come through it was when like everyone's like oh when you stepped on that pitch for the first time and played and I was like no it wasn't it was the first step I took running that was the scariest thing I ever did was running again and like, or like, you know, sitting on the bike and doing one, one full rotation on the bike. Cause that was so painful. Yeah. But yeah, just like that achievement. I remember doing it one full one without having to warm up my knee, just went on one full rotation. It hurt so much, but I was like, I can do this. Yes, you can. So yeah, it was just that fulfillment moment. And that's kind of my proudest moment, whether it be like sport, there are other moments in my life, graduating. Like yeah. there are so many proud moments, like. Yeah, but then um, that would probably be my biggest one, just kind of learning to overcome and come out the tunnel and know there's like a brighter outside. And I think also your story kind of reiterates the importance of recognizing the people around you, like how amazing that would have felt having the other players on the pitch clap you on when you were coming on. Like, I without sounding cheesy and without overdoing it and complimenting yeah. your friends, I think it's so important to recognize people. Like, no, I think that's all people want, honestly, <laughs> just to be recognized for the shit that they're going through. I know, and it was so nice, and it was just, it was such an emotion. I almost like, couldn't concentrate then. Yeah, I would be in tears. Because, like, I just started to run on, and, you know, because I, I was running, like, you know, you do the sub, and I was running on, and I was calling the girl's name who I was swapping with, and it was just as, yeah, people realizing I was coming on, just they all started clapping, and I could hear people in the stands cheering for me. And like, you know, it was so amazing. And then like, because a few weeks later, it happened to my friend who was also had a long-term injury. She had surgery the same week as me, actually. And um, so, yeah, we were recovering. She came on to do her first game. And the same thing happened. Like, as she's running on, like, we're all just clapping and cheering. And I said to her after, I was like, how emotional was that moment? And she was just like, I could have cried on the pitch. She was like, it didn't matter I was coming on. It was the best feeling was people just kind of like, you know, knowing I had that support behind me and to do that. And it's the same, like the day of surgery, I had so many texts, so many phone calls, so many messages, like cards from people. It was just so nice like to know, like, 
you know, even though we play all on different teams, because Hong Kong's so small and such a tight community, like, everyone had my back. Everyone was wishing me good luck. So it's, yeah, it's, that was like my fulfillment moment of just knowing like what a support system in my life I have. Yeah. And it's redefining success to mean other things outside of rugby. Yeah. 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 It's like, it also, yeah, exactly. It's like made me realize I'm not just a rugby player. I can do so much more in my life than just play rugby. Absolutely. It's a part I really, like that's the thing. Now when people say to me like, oh, so like you play rugby. And I was like, oh, I don't think they'll like me saying this, but I call it a hobby. Oh, really? Rugby's a hobby, mm. which I really enjoy. Like really enjoy it so much. I'm willing to get up at 5 a.m. every day to go to the gym for it and put my body through hell and back for it. But it's a hobby I really enjoy. And I think it's important for me to keep saying that to know when I want to stop. And like that, it's okay if I don't want... It's like today, I... Look at the weather. I was like, it's pissing down. Pissing it down with rain. And I thought, really gotta go get this run done. And I just kind of thought, I was like, you know what? No. You don't want to do it? Don't do it. What is the point of going out and doing it if it's just going to make you miserable? So no, I'll get up early and I'll do it tomorrow morning instead. Yeah. Yeah. And what's, what's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing big in my life is going to change if I don't do this run today. And yeah, it's just getting to know that setting boundaries for yourself asking people for help when you need it redefining success so that you're not defined by one hobby or one career or one moment in your or life one even moment. yeah standing up for yourself what are your final parting words of advice <sighs> literally give a fuck <laughs> who gives a fuck who gives a fuck as long as it yeah as long as it makes you happy and that's one thing i also realized like when I took a different career and it was just to be an assistant teacher, it makes me so happy that I wouldn't give it up even if they offered me to be the head analyst of New Zealand next week. Really? Yeah. Like, I just, I'm so happy where I am in life right now. And um, yeah, I haven't felt this happiness in a long time. So getting injured and getting made redundant and having to kind of build myself back up so much in like, you know, career, physically, mentally. No, yeah, it's made me realize like how lucky I am to have the people I have in my life and um, what a support system I have and also what I need to know myself better, what I need to make myself happy. Yeah. So, yeah. I think if people aim for happiness, we'd have a oh, nicer, yeah. kinder world. <laughs> Just be happy, everyone. But money yeah. would be nice too. Ask oh, for yeah. what you're worth. <laughs> Money's nice as well, trust me. Not being homeless is nice. Yes, Affording food. Um, but yeah, like, there is so much I wouldn't trade right now. Yeah. I'm in a very good place in my life. Did this interview um, a year ago? We would be having a much different conversation right now. Um, but that's a testament to how strong you are, for sure. And how much a year can take. Like, I literally cannot believe... Yeah, it's been a year since I was in that place and we were having these conversations of me in tears because I couldn't do a squat of 10 kg in the gym <laughs> yeah it's black and white it's completely different yeah you're amazing thank you so much thanks Tilly it's been great we have been talking for an hour and 45 minutes oh and it's just <laughs> been me so god good luck everybody <laughs> have a beautiful week thank you guys for listening and yeah see ya <laughs> <laughs> Jesus I talked for an hour and